0: There isn't actually a shortage of talent. We just need to look for it in a different way. And and I think that was an interesting challenge. And um, where we get talent from now is is changing again. Um,
1: we're, We're moving away from just having to hire accountants. G'day, everyone. I'm David Boyer, and welcome back to the CA Catalyst podcast, Shaping the Practice of the Future. In this series so far, we've heard about the elements that make the practice of the future, the future of RegTech, ...how accountants are using tech in practice... ...and how you can make the change for yourself. i have also spoken about how chartered accountants are leading... ...and how they're rising up the value chain. If you haven't heard any of these episodes yet... ...I encourage you to flip back and have a listen. But I had a question. If we were to do all of the things that we've spoken about on this series... ...if we listened to what was coming, what was out there... ...and what best practice looked like... ...what would a firm look like? In the past episodes... It was kind of like a recipe for a cake, but what cake were we baking? Well, I'm going to try to answer that question for you in this episode. We're going to try to look at what a future firm could be. We're going to focus on three elements. Number one, how do you come up with a new business model? And then the two things that I think are the most important elements, how we price, because that's how we make our living, and how we resource our firms, how we attract and retain staff. The way accounting firms has worked has not changed for a long time. We hire staff, they record their time in six minute increments, we multiply that by a rate that would produce a profit we're happy with, often it's a 30% net profit margin, we tally those hours up, decide if we can get the client to pay that rate and issue an invoice. The work we apply this to is mostly tax compliance and annual accounts, special work done mostly by partners... Included helping the setup or exit of a business, arranging bank finance, offering referrals to other professional service providers, or just being a sounding board for the business owner. But with the cloud, data and information is being democratised. More businesses have access to more information, and the market is starting to ask more from their accountants. This represents a big opportunity for us. The market, though, doesn't necessarily want to pay for this new type of work in six-minute increments. In this episode, Business Model Innovation we're gonna hear from accountants doing things differently. One of them doesn't even do any tax. So please welcome to the CA Catalyst Podcast Shaping the Practice of
2: Tomorrow. For the first time, Jason Andrews. We are an accounting business, but we don't do tax returns. And that's a very key distinction that we make to all of our prospects that we work with and even our existing clients. We we are accountants, but we don't do tax. And I think that's a big misconception in the market where most people, when they think about accounting, they think about tax returns, right? It's always in the Sunday barbecue. Yeah, if you tell someone your profession, like, "Oh, I haven't done my tax return in last year," and they talk about what can I claim, it's like, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know nowadays. Like, I haven't, I haven't lodged a tax return for anyone but myself, and my parents in about seven years. Um, and I think changing the fundamental idea of what accountants do for businesses is is, is part of the narrative that we try to adopt and and, and share to the market. So. What do we call ourselves what we do is we, we call it operational finance and so when we say operational finance we're very much embedded with our clients operations in terms of helping them design the, the processes a lot of the uh, the financial infrastructure they have in their company um, and obviously we're accountants so we help manage their finance function so a part of that finance function is bookkeeping so we do do bookkeeping as as a Bookkeeping, as everyone knows, underpins the entire finance stack of a company, but then it starts from there and moves into things like cash flow management, um, KPI development, helping them streamline systems, automate processes, um, et cetera. We have two primary services. There's, we call it overall, there's like bookkeeping, which is fairly transactional, fairly predictable. And then there's kind of more advisory type engagements where you're building models from scratch. Uh, You're trying to help someone problem-solve clients with their pricing, for example, or more strategic financial projects. And so how I like to think about that is there's two types of overarching work, right? There's algorithmic work and there's heuristic work. Algorithmic work can be described as any type of work which involves Process like there's a known outcome, there is a guideline, there's there's an answer. There's, the outcomes are very binary; it's either right or wrong. Account most of accounting work is algorithmic work by nature. A tax return is either right or it's wrong. Um, you know, a set of accounts, a balance sheet is right or wrong. Right? That we understand this. Heuristic work, on the other hand, is something is type of work which requires critical thinking. There's no uh, there's no playbook. Often you're often working in grey areas, and this is really requires. Um, a bit of EQ, uh, emotional intelligence, um, empathy of the client, but also critical problem solving uh, about a particular issue. Examples of heuristic work might be a client has issues with pricing. How should they rethink their pricing structure? Um, again, there is no answer on how much you should charge um, for your services or your product. Um, so it involves um, you know, understanding the market, understanding the business, uh, and, and building a case, um, building a formula from, from there. So. For many, what
1: Jason has done is inspirational he views his company as a company, not as a firm, not as a partnership. And he actually takes the approach that many of our most successful clients probably do in their service businesses. He does a great job of what many think business advisory is. And so I asked him, if we were to think like you, Jace,
2: how could we run our businesses like yours? (laughs) really good question. So, you need to ask yourself, are you a freelancer or are you an entrepreneur, right? So, you would argue that a lot of accountants and a lot of, to be honest, a lot of professional service providers generally are are acting like freelancers or solopreneurs. So, what that means is the, the partners are very much on the tools uh, they've still got a big client list that they're managing personally. Uh, they're still kind of the bottleneck in their own business. And a lot of them are control freaks because of the risk that they might be undertaking for their clients, right? So, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's very much um, someone who is a technician in the, in their company. The difference as an entrepreneur is someone that builds a machine, who builds a, a business that is repeatable, that grows in itself without the direct input of the owner or the founders. So really a lot of Traditional firms, I'd argue, are actually more like sole contractors or solopreneurs, and the idea of a firm is a bunch of these solopreneurs bunched together to share overheads like rent, marketing, and some payroll expenses, but fundamentally, they're still the key people. I mentioned before at the start of this
1: show that new services don't really meet the market if we price at six-minute increments. And for me, I always worked out my cost and relied on my instinct and experience and sort of had a list of about 15 different things that I'd look for to work out if I was giving the right value to the client and what price it should be. We're about to hear how some of the regular CAs that have been on this
2: series price in their firms. Specifically, here's how Jason Andrews does it. So we have... Couple of ways that we price and uh, the first one is we know we need to know what our costs will be to undertake said service right so how we price for um, algorithmic work is we have templates and spreadsheets um, which are derived on inputs basically so for example bookkeeping we have a, a NALI spreadsheet which we're in process of automating at the moment which syncs zero data directly from the system pulls out number of transactions you know accounts payable lines number of employees etc and spits out number which is our unit cost that would cost based on our budget um, for us to service this client based on you know, transaction inputs. Uh, we then add a margin um, and our required margin for us to be in business, and then that's our fixed cost, right? But that's the that's, important thing to know is that's how much it's gonna cost at a bare minimum. The value to that customer might be a lot higher because of there's certain risk elements that we can't necessarily price in um, to a transaction. So some algorithmic work, uh, maybe maybe they want faster the turnaround time, so we then, Build in these pricing mechanisms into the into the service I ultimately provide, um, based on the preference of the client themselves. Um, so that's how we price algorithmic work, heuristic work. Unfortunately, or well, fortunately, um, we have been burnt where we tried to fix price certain heuristic work engagements. Um, but the nature of heuristic work is there is no, you know, how long is a piece of string, right? So we we need to be very specific about scope, but then also have that on an hourly rate basis, and that's the, the way that works for us. Felicity
1: Hill from Green Line in Auckland has a much more intuitive way to price. Whilst Jason has a clear process and one that he's even looking at completely automating and building software for, she looks for fairness and value creation and relies on her experience. And as for timesheets?
3: No, I don't like the hourly rate. I hate timesheets. Um I think traditionally as a profession we have we've undervalued our services. Um, I think of, I mean we can do a restructure and we can save someone several thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on tax and we're like right spent four hours on that, an hourly rate that might be $1,200. If you're saving someone $50,000 charging them 1200 just doesn't feel quite right. So I think I, I, I'm desperately trying to get rid of them in our practice. I think it will be a little bit of a longer, um, longer sell but I think if we think about the value that we're adding to our clients and then price it based on that, I think we're going to see a much better, one, um, reception from our clients in terms of what we charge, but also um, from our team members in terms of feeling valued. Um, I base it on previous experience, which is not very helpful for people starting, but I mean, I know the client's financials. I know probably what they're willing to pay. Um, I know what bills they might have grumbled about previously, but I also think that we've got to remember that it might we might be able to do something quite efficiently. But how many years did it take, and how much um, of our sort of um, intellectual property our IP has got us to that point, and that's all got to go into the price.
1: There is really two sides to pricing, as Jason said, your inputs, and as Felicity alluded to, the value that the client sees you making for them. But it's not the easiest thing to suddenly be great at. I went to New Zealand to meet with Luke Kemies. Luke is a fascinating guy. He won the 2019 Young Chartered Accountant Regional Advocate Award for Auckland, where his firm Next Advisory is based. Luke's firm is small, but he goes very deep with his clients. If he or his partner, Phil Smith, can't help in the client's business, they just won't take them on. He uses his spare time that technology and automation have given him to bring that same type of innovation and entrepreneurship to New Zealand's racing industry, and he's a really interesting guy to follow on Twitter. Actually, both he and Jason Andrew, who started this show, are excellent examples of accountants using LinkedIn to get their skills and personality across to prospective clients. Luke took a trial and error approach to finding the best pricing option for his firm.
4: So typically we'll we'll map out what a client's going to need on the compliance front over the next 12 months and then break it down into uh, a monthly payment which isn't world breaking but typically that's just around proactive tax planning, annual accounts, GST review, uh, incidental queries etc and then we'll add advisory on top of that. Some clients aren't ready for advisory yet, others want to get started on that yesterday. So we'll basically then run that as almost a separate package line but then combine them together if if they're up for both. So we've had to, obviously starting with a blank page, we've basically gone from okay trying to find our value in the market of getting a little bit of kickback of no that's that's too expensive or no that's more than our previous accountant and then trying to explain the value of okay but we're bringing more to the table etc. But most things are now at a pretty steady sort of fixed price and if people that don't Uh, resonate with that then we'll usually explain that yep it's probably not a good fit for for what we're
1: doing I feel I need to warn you I've been value pricing for five years and it's hard you'll likely get the first few wrong and you kind of need a mix of clients on it to give you a strong average profit because some months, especially if you're monthly billing, clients will need more of you than less. Accountants are clearly trying value pricing and like Felicity, Mike Atkinson from Bellingham-Wallace in Auckland is also pricing for value. I visited Bellingham-Wallace and found it had all the trappings of a traditional suburban 30-star firm but they're moving up the value chain and into an automated world under Mike's leadership. We still have timesheets. We still, you know, we're still stuck in the world of
0: um, capturing all of that time. But, but a lot of the pricing is more value build. So we will uh, have set. It's kind of a stable of products or, or offerings that we will do for clients. So when I'm, when I'm pitching for work, I put together a proposal document which has a bit of a pick and mix on some options for a client, uh, and and I tend to encourage them not to do everything at once because. A, that might add to a lot of price, but B, it, it also just doesn't, you don't have enough time to do everything. So, so we create a stable, so they go on a, a, a journey over a period of time, and so they're buying throughout the entire year. Uh, I find that it's a lot easier to sell once and sell big, and rather than having to go back time and time again to, back to the client. So I price based on, on normally uh, agreed fee uh, for a stable of products or solutions, and anything outside of that we do on a time and cost or as an extra variation uh, it's a little bit like in, in construction or building a house. You know, you have a set price for that and you might have some estimates or some PC sums for certain things you're not sure of and then any time you change the, the goalpost, there's a variation. So a lot of our clients are now in the space where they want to pay a monthly amount and it's kind of a set and forget and for that they get a, a bunch of activity with us and, and we normally would make sure that you know uh, as we're going if we're going over that time or if we need to adjust on the fly then we have conversations when required uh, but for most of the clients they, it's the simplicity of I can plan my cash flow and I know what I'm getting at the beginning in terms of my services.
1: I guess to summarise the way our guests have been speaking about pricing it's really about continually using your experience to improve the margin you can earn which is why I still like timesheets whilst getting a fair reward for the value you create until one day you'll find a pricing mechanism and have enough experience that it works for you quite easily. One value that I think is critical in pricing though is transparency. If you succeed in articulating what you do to your client, then you won't charge for value you can't create, nor will you undercharge for your efforts. Pricing is important. But throughout my journey, I found that the number one problem facing every accounting firm isn't implementing automation, advisory, isn't managing change. We get a lot of help for that, and Catalyst is a great place to start to learn more. The biggest problem is attracting great staff. Five years ago, I set up a team in the Philippines, and both Jason Andrews and I feel the same way about this. Chartered accountants are a global business. There's a global talent pool, and we can access it. Let's have a chat to our guests about how they approach recruiting and retaining great talent for their firms.
3: We're still hiring, um, in that, but yes, what we're looking at is we're looking at people with business experience and with some life experience. Um, Obviously, if they've got an accounting degree, a CA qualification, then, then they've got that accounting intellect. But we want some people with some runs on the board, someone that's done something different. I don't think that necessarily means they're old, um I, I you look around the ice house here most people that have started these businesses are eighteen twenty one years old they look twelve some of them but um yeah it's it's having that experience doing something different as opposed to just gone through that traditional route. We all know there's a shortage of accountants and um we've got we pull in our networks we um we do use recruitment agents um but to be honest that can be a little bit hit and miss um Yeah, pulling on our networks and we're getting our brand out there slowly. So um, the idea is hopefully that they'll then start to come to us.
1: I asked Felicity to outline her approach because I kind of liked her. Get really senior people here who are really good at dealing with clients and use the global talent pool that Jason and I tap into. Have a listen, though, to how her new business model has impacted her culture and the way she has to retain staff.
3: We actually merged with a um, merged two firms together at the beginning of April 18 and it did have an impact on those that were perhaps more traditional accountants. Most of them aren't with us anymore um, but they're great accountants but the level of work now that we're doing in our office is that advisory, it's the client facing. It's not the people that sit behind their desk and just punch the numbers. So um, it was kind of if I'm going back to our green line theme, a little bit of natural sort of selection in a way. Um, But those people are, I mean, we've just actually put one into a client um, this week because they're really good at that sort of numbers. Um, So it's had an impact on some people, others who get it and who uh, just want to do that high level work, uh, they love it. They think it's brilliant.
1: Some accountants start their firms and learn as they go. But Jason Andrew from SBO, who we started the show with, was very strategic. On day one, he knew how he wanted to build his business. And so had a global view when it
2: came to attracting staff. So we have, uh, so I guess, a structured team where we use both, you know, onshore accountants. Uh, and we also have, um, we're also supported by a team of accountants and bookkeepers in, the, in, in India and uh, in the Philippines. So again, the way that we designed the company at the beginning was, uh, you know, there's, there's a pool of talent globally that we can act, have access to, and again, by designing our company day one as being a fully online distributed business, why not? Why you know we have no restrictions to access to that global talent? So that was always the, the kind of ethos behind our business. So yeah, so we employ um, teams in here in the Philippines, and listen, they don't just do the boring data entry work. We employ financial analysts um, who are, you know, MBA, investment bank backgrounds who are pumping out financial models for us and our clients, um, who who are there, and they do, you know, to to find someone that could do that in Australia or locally, it's it's you're either paying significantly a lot more, or you just can't find the people. There's a big skill shortage. So um, we're accessing talent overseas. Um, and, but of course, our clients still want local presence. They still want people who understand their business from a culture and contextual perspective. And so we also employ accountants in Australia, um, love stay-at-home mums, who, uh, you know, who have had a career in, in in big big four, big eight accounting firms, had children and looking to migrate back into the workforce and more flexible arrangement. Um, so we, that's, that's the... Um, They're kind of target employees that we work with, um, and their role is uh, customer service, making sure the work's getting done, um, making sure it's done accurately, but also, again, helping them focus on the heuristic work, not the algorithmic stuff. You know, bookkeeping can be done by anyone. Educating a client on how to read a balance sheet can't be done by anyone, right? It It requires a degree of empathy. Um, and really understand the client. And that's really what their job is.
1: Now, if you're active on LinkedIn, chances are you've received an unsolicited sales message from an offshore provider trying to win your services. And if you're anything like me, you've either politely declined or flat out ignored that advance. Luke Chemies though, responded to one and got a great outcome out of it. So we've got a central
4: CA basically, and then he builds a team underneath him, depending on how much resource we need. And he can add to that uh, as and when we need. We like to work at a fair bit of speed which can put a bit of pressure on him to add in the right people Um, but they'll do basically the bulk of say a set of accounts up to 90% say 80, 90 and then we'll we'll review it and go back and go hang on these are the things we know about this client and then it'll go back to them they'll touch it up and then we'll have the discussion with the client. We were approached by somebody through LinkedIn basically uh, very early on in our journey and he could see where we were going and he said, look, I'd love to be the guy that you guys use and I've got access to people. And so, yeah, that's how they that come about. Well, that's the beauty of technology as well, you know, where there's been some things where we're like, oh, uh, this is how we do this and had to basically sh- retrain as such and at the moment it's just purely been uh, via video conference etc like that, that sort of thing and then actually screen recording and demonstrating okay this is our process or this is what we'd like to see when you communicate well with your client that this is what we're trying to do in the market in terms of free up our time to be able to deliver value add and they know, well then, it's probably no point in you actually doing my tax return or filling out these numbers, etc., or fixing these errors that we've made, is it? It's it's a lot easier conversation, so we're very transparent about it now. I think it is uh, brand yourself well enough to attract the right people to you instead of complaining about your lack of
1: access to the right people. That sounds prophetic almost, doesn't it? Talking to all these accountants and seeing how my own business works, I've learned how important the concept of the right people in the right roles is. Mike Atkinson's explains why this is important.
0: Uh, the staff is is one of those challenges that I think every organisation, not only in the CA world but all industry, faces um, around getting the right mix. It's it's ever changing. Uh, to be honest, I think you know the the staff mix that we have now is different than the staff mix that we had five years ago or ten years ago. Now is that better? I think it's right for today. It doesn't mean to say it's better or or, or, uh, it's certainly different. And I'm not sure if there is a a magic mix. Uh, Probably the right mix, though, is around having administrative support along with chargeable support, uh, because I I do find that often as accountants we do a lot of work that's low value, and that can chew up a lot of our margin or time, Uh, so having a really strong and effective support team, um, whether that's a PA, secretary, whatever, uh, however you want to term it, but having that, that support team is really important to the overall client team and then I think having uh, a, a real mix of demographic in terms of age and experience is important because you know the younger guys get the buzz working with the older guys and getting a chance to be experienced on, on big and exciting jobs. And the young guys bring the enthusiasm and the energy that sometimes the older guys might need to keep them going. So you, you kind of need a, a bit of both, um, but I'm not sure if there's a magic formula. There was um, some great work done about a year ago by uh, Chartered Accountants, Future Inc. paper around the future of talent, and uh, which, by the way, the Future Ink paper just as an aside, if anyone hasn't ever read any of them, they should. There's one around, the very first one was around disruption, great publication, uh, they're available on uh, on PDF, but um, the point of the the future and in the, the future of talent was there isn't actually a shortage of talent. We just need to look for it in a different way, and and I think that was an interesting challenge. And um, where we get talent from now is is changing again. Um, you know, we, we're moving away from just having to hire accountants. You know, we want people that can problem solve, that can communicate, uh, that are good both written and oral uh, in terms of their communication skills. Maybe can be good presenters, a good almost like an account manager. Um, you still need some good technical background and understanding because if you're giving advice to clients, you need to understand what you're giving advice on. But I don't think the traditional pathway uh, of coming through and learning accounting and then becoming a grad and progressing is what we will see in the future. I think it will change, and and I know it already is for a number of organisations.
1: Well, that's our episode on the CA Catalyst Podcast, Shaping the Practice of Tomorrow. We've spoken about how to come up with a new business model, how to resource your firm or your business, if you're talking like Jason Andrews, and how to price. We've got just two episodes left in this series, the mindset for growth and communities, because you are not alone. Of course, if you are a CA member and you want more, head to the myCA portal and jump on the CA Catalyst community and start a conversation about pricing or staffing or changes you want to make in your business or better yet respond to somebody there who's asked a question and as I get ready to say goodbye for this episode I'll leave you with a comment Luke Kemi's made about the impact that's happened to him since using a new business model.
4: Oh so good freed up so much of my time Um, just such a weight off the shoulders I've been able to do more of the stuff that I care about inside the business and outside the business. Um, probably, like I'm a real entrepreneurial uh, ideas type person. That's that's the that's the danger. Get a bit of time, I get to go down a rabbit hole of figuring out how we're going to implement this technology into our business or into a different client. But I mean, that has obviously some awesome impact. But at the same time, you can lose a bit of time but yeah it's been it's been so reassuring to find a team that actually can do a lot of the work and just break the back of some of that and and the speed at which we've done some of the work for clients and especially demonstrating to a new client that we've taken from a previous accountant okay we've got your accounts done or to a draft standard already they're like wow we thought this happened in february and we're like oh no 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 (laughs) we want to be cruising in january february